As we come to the end of Ephesians, we will not only be looking at the text that was read today, but we will also be thinking throughout Ephesians as a whole. That would mean it would be a good idea to keep your Bible open as we travel once again through Ephesians. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help me to preach faithfully, help us to listen rightly, and Father, this is your church, through your word, grow us to love Christ more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was once a man who went diving. And after having done much research, he found the suitable and best equipment to go diving with. Then he jumped into the sea and he went deeper and deeper. But suddenly he saw a man swimming towards him. But what was shocking was this man had no diving equipment. He had no oxygen tank, no snorkels, no flippers. And yet he is coming down to this depth that this diver with this equipment has. Perhaps this is one of those native divers who swim without equipment to collect pearls, he thought. Well, he decided he won't be outdone and he dove in deeper. And then he turned around and lo and behold, the other man is still keeping pace with him, swimming towards him without any diving equipment. He thought, perhaps this man is using some new invention that allows someone to breathe freely underwater without cumbersome diving gear. The diver then decided to dive in even deeper. He turned around and the man was still able to follow him. How can he match him when he has no diving equipment? He finally decided to ask. He took out a board the divers used to communicate and using chalk, he wrote a message. How are you able to dive so deep without equipment? The other man took the board and chalk from him, wrote a message, and passed the board back to him. The reply, you fool, can't you see I am drowning? Sometimes we can get so caught up in one particular context that we think of everything else except what is most important. Sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. If someone asks you, what is Ephesians all about? What would you answer? Perhaps you may say, it's about the assurance that Jews and Gentiles are both saved and united in Christ. Perhaps you may say, Paul really wants them to understand the love of Christ and how it changes them. Perhaps you may say, it's to remind Christians about how they are to behave in light of what Christ has done. Or perhaps you may say it's to remind Christians about the reality of spiritual warfare and so to be prepared to persevere. None of this is the wrong answer. Ephesians do talk about this. However, if this was the answer to the question, what is Ephesians all about, then we have missed the forest for the tree. So how do you figure out the purpose of an epistle? Well, some people recommend looking at the beginning, at the end of the letter. So come with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Now, Paul addresses this letter to the Ephesians. He calls them saints, and then he calls them faithful to Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says again, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. Now, what does faithfulness to Christ look like? 
Since Paul says he has heard of their faith, he's not talking about some internal truth. It must be referring to something that they're doing that people have observed and come back to Paul and tell him about it. And Paul considers this thing as proof that they have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if the Ephesians were all secret believers, right? They wear a mask to come to church and then they wear a mask to go out from church and no one knows that they're Christian, then they won't be doing anything that's observable. Paul won't hear this news that they're faithful in Christ. So what can it be? Can it be talking about them showing Christian love to each other? Perhaps they do wear their mask, they come in, and then they're super loving to everyone. And then they wear their mask when they go out again. It's a good theory, but it doesn't fit the text. Now, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 15, that he has heard of their faith and their love for the saints. So this thing that they're doing, this faith thing, is not tied in to their good works that they're doing by showing love to the saints. So there's something else here. Now come to the end of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 21. Now, here we see Tychicus. Tychicus is someone who was with Paul during his imprisonment, and he's a messenger that Paul sends to the Ephesians. Now, why does Paul do this? Why deprive himself of a friend who's been caring for him in prison? Verse 22 tells us, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. See, Paul was willing to part with Tychicus for a while so that he can tell them about Paul's ministry from prison. See, the reason is so that they will be encouraged to continue doing this thing that they're doing that points to their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what is the point of this? Now, we know that Paul is in prison because of the preaching of the gospel. Right? Just a few verses before this, in Ephesians 6, 18, we see Paul's prayer requests. And we see his character revealed there. In verse 19, he says that they are to pray for him so that he will have the words to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And this is when he's in jail. In verse 20, he calls himself an ambassador in chains. And he shows that his desire is to boldly proclaim the gospel, even in prison. So, what will Tychicus' testimony about this ministry that Paul is doing encourage the Ephesians to do? What is Paul's example that he wants Tychicus to relate to the Ephesians, teaching them? And it is to remind them to share the gospel as Paul himself is doing. This faith that the Ephesians are demonstrating, that Paul has heard about, is that they are faithfully preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in Ephesus. And that is why Paul is writing this letter. Ephesus, if you remember, is a stronghold of the worship of pagan gods, the center of Artemis worship, and therefore there'll be persecution, difficulties, and challenges for the Ephesians. Now, we ourselves are often scared to openly preach the gospel in Malaysia. We give excuses that we are scared that we get in trouble with the law, we are scared that we may lose friends. We are scared that we may lose opportunities at work. Or scared we will be disliked by colleagues and we don't want to share the gospel. Well, the Ephesians had it much, much worse. 
The idol makers who control the economy of Ephesus, they were very anti-Christian, going as far as to cause a riot when Paul was preaching. So for them, it is a big challenge to persevere in sharing the gospel. Yet, they faithfully persevere. And having heard of this faithfulness despite the difficulty, Paul is therefore writing this epistle to the Ephesians to encourage them. To encourage them to persevere to continue sharing the gospel. Now that we understand the central idea behind this epistle to the Ephesians, we can see this letter more clearly in light of the gospel. Everything that Paul talks about in this letter is linked ultimately to the preaching of the gospel. You see, Paul gives knowledge for the sake of the gospel. Paul gives encouragement for the sake of the gospel. Paul gives exhortations for the sake of the gospel. So with that in mind, let us then come to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and have a look with fresh eyes. Now in Ephesians chapter 1, the first 14 verses, Paul talks about God fulfilling his purposes in line with his plans. And we see that God has predestined them and chosen them to be in Christ. And God achieves victory through Christ. They too are victorious in Christ. They are washed clean, adopted, made heads. And to what should they be thankful for this great victory that God gives them? What is it that makes their great inheritance possible? Verse 13 tells us that it is the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. So Paul is reminding them that the gospel is what gives them assurance. Assurance that God is in control, that all things that come to pass is part of God's will. And secondly, Paul reminds the Ephesians just how precious the gospel is. Now, can you imagine what comfort these words would mean to the Ephesians as they are challenged to continue to persevere in sharing the gospel, despite the dangers and threats that they may face? As they face the risk that their plans, their ambitions are going to be ruined because they share the gospel, with these words, Paul gives them comfort that God's plan, God's desire is going to be worked out. As they face the risk of death, as they persevere in sharing the gospel, in this text, Paul is reminding them of the assurance they have of eternal life. So let's bring it to our context so we can relate better to this message. Imagine a missionary that you know. Now, he is sharing the gospel in a country where he's not welcome, where he's persecuted, where he might lose all that he has because he's sharing the gospel. Now, if we were to write to him to encourage him, what would our letter look like? As we think about it, it's very difficult to write a letter that is so meaningful and so encouraging as this letter in Ephesians does. Imagine that he hears this word from Paul as if it is addressed to his situation personally. How much comfort and strength would that give? Verse 5, that he is a son of God, eternally chosen for this task. Verse 7, that through the blood of Jesus, he is assured of heaven. Verse 10, 
God's plan will come to fruit ultimately. So there is no risk of God failing. There's no risk of God making a mistake. Verse 11, that he has a heavenly inheritance even if he loses all that he has, even if he loses his life. Verse 14, that he has already been sealed with the Holy Spirit for eternal life with God. And the proof of that is his desire to serve Jesus by proclaiming the gospel, even at the risk of his life. Now, how meaningful would that be to him in that situation when death itself is a reality? For those who believe, this letter to the Ephesians is rock-solid assurance that's able to lead them to be even willing to lay down their life for the sake of the gospel. This is the true power behind Paul's word to the Ephesians here. But what about us? We too have been going through a series. We have been reading these very words. Yet have we been passionate about the gospel? Since we started this series, have we been sharing the gospel? Are we people who have assurance and comfort in sharing the gospel? That we have confidence in sharing the gospel? Or are we people who are weighing all the things we stand to lose if you open your mouth and preach the gospel? Now, if we still do not have assurance, if we still fear to share the gospel, if we still don't care to share the gospel, then what we've been doing as we've been listening throughout this entire series of Ephesians is we hear, but we do not listen. We have hardened our hearts to what God is saying. Next, we come to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, to the end of the passage. And here, we see that the Ephesians are to place their hope in something. It isn't their strength. It isn't their successes. It isn't their blessings. Instead, as verse 17 puts it, Paul reminds them of the wisdom and revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is reminding them of the gospel. See, it is in the hope of the gospel that Paul wants them to find their motivation. And this is why Paul tells them that they are already seated with Christ, that they are the fullness of Christ, and that all things are now under Christ. It is to help them see the reality of the situation and find their hope so that they can continue on. Then we come to chapter 2. Now, this entire chapter has one main function. Paul wants them to know just what it is that Christ has done for them. So they see the need to respond to his salvation. And therefore, Paul proclaims they are dead in their sins. And he has terrible consequences. They are under the power of the prince of darkness. They are in trouble. And then he shows them how through Christ and what he does, those who are dead in sin were made alive in him. They were saved. And then, as if that's not enough, just as how Christ was raised and glorified, these people too shall be raised and glorified. And if you realize it, friends, this is actually the gospel being proclaimed here too. 
Again and again, Paul hammers the gospel into their hearts through this letter in different forms. Have a look at verse 11 to the end of the chapter. What do you think this is about? Again, it is the gospel. And this time, is presented in the shape of how, as a church, they experience the truth of the gospel as they are united to Christ, as they are built up into God's universal church. So both as individuals, as the church, the point of this passage then is to show how important the gospel is. And then we come to chapter 3. In the first 13 verses of chapter 3, Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel. He shows them how against all expectation, God's salvation comes to the Gentiles too. And he even uses himself as an example here. The gospel has saved Paul, even though he calls himself the least of all the saints. You see, friends, Paul was a murderer of Christians. Paul was a persecutor of the church. And he shows here how even he, in that wickedness, in that rebellion against God's church and God, that as unlikely as it might be, God saves him through the very gospel he has been persecuting. That shows the power of the gospel. And so Paul paints this picture to remind them of it, to remind them how this gospel comes and reverses things. Mercy, where judgment should come. The sinful ones who repent are saved rather than those who are high and mighty. And this is the gospel that Paul has been preaching. So he shows them how valuable this gospel is because for he himself, being adapted to mercy, this gospel is beyond any compare. So then, Paul reminds them, brings them to verse 13, and tells them not to lose heart despite seeing him being in prison and suffering for the sake of the gospel. You see, what he's trying to say is, look how important the gospel is to me. Look what I'm willing to do for the gospel. This surely tells you how important this is. So you too, persevere. Do not lose heart. Keep on sharing the gospel. Go the distance. So he shows them how important the gospel is. And that's why we see Paul sharing in verse 11, the Gentiles were once nothing, but now are made sons of God. Verse 16, Christ becomes their peace and he unites all Christians into one body. And basically this is Paul moving on to show how the gospel shapes their Christian life practically. And then he comes and shows them in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, that as they persevere in proclaiming Christ, in becoming more like him, God is glorified through that. So out of thankfulness to God, as they see the length, the height, the breadth, and the depth of his love, the response is to become more like Christ, to proclaim the gospel and bring glory to God's name. Then we come to chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, and here we see Paul showing how the entire church is to be united in one body with one goal, and that is to proclaim and serve the risen Lord. 
And he reminds them here that the gospel is what unites the church and that therefore they should have the same gospel mindset as we should be having. And then Paul shows them the work that Christ does to build up the church in Ephesians chapter 4, 7 to 16. And Paul is doing this to assure them that God has provided all the gifts that they need, all the people that they need, in order to be able to fulfill their mission. God is providing for them. And so we see that it is for the sake of the gospel that the church is being built up. It is for the gospel that they are now being trained to Christ-like maturity. The whole point of this part of the message, from chapter 3 to chapter 4, verse 16, is to show how the church and the gospel are connected. The gospel builds up the church. And the church responds by proclaiming the gospel. We then come to the part in Ephesians that we like to think of as Paul's list of practical application for Christians. In chapters 4 to 6, we will see a whole series of exhaustion. In chapter 4, 17 to 24, Paul reminds them, they are transformed by the gospel, and so they must put off the old self, put on the new self. Chapter 4, verse 25 to 32, he calls them to live on as new creations in Christ. He calls them to speak the truth in love, to not sin in their anger, to love one another. And he continues on. And as he moves to chapter 5, what he's doing is he's showing us how this looks like in practice. And you know how gospel-centered lives would look like in our families, with our friends, at work? We would see wives submitting to their husbands, husbands loving their wife, children obeying their parents, and parents bringing up their children faithfully. Servants and masters relate to each other in submission and fairness and love and equality. And the point here is that Paul isn't listing down a bunch of rules for Christians to follow. But rather, he's saying this with the gospel in mind. And he's saying this to the church in Ephesians, that as people who proclaim the gospel, they are to act in a way that exemplifies the gospel in their action and behavior. They have to be people who live out the implications of the gospel. Do you know why? So that when they go out to preach the gospel, to fulfill their missions, they are not hypocrites. And at this point, we need to ask ourselves these questions. If we go out when we share the gospel, are we hypocrites? And so there's a call for us to listen to what Paul says and to live in light of the gospel. We will have to be a real Christian community, as Paul describes here, so that there's no obstacles to our mission to proclaim the gospel. And then in chapter 6, verse 10, Paul brings everything together to remind them that they are fighting a spiritual battle against the powers of darkness in the world. And the way that they fight back is simple. The only weapon they have is seen in verse 17. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You see, we fight back through the preaching of the gospel. 
all the other things that Paul had been exhorting the Ephesians to do is basically to help them to be equipped to the battle. The gospel strengthens and equips them so that they can bring the fight to the world through the preaching of the gospel. And so we come to the final verse in chapter 6, 21 and 24. And now we see the Paul's purpose for the Ephesians in to encourage them to continue fighting the good fight, to bring the gospel out to the nation, to keep on doing it, not with sword or economic domination, but as they proclaim and preach the word. And then we see Paul closing this letter, verse 24. And here are his words of hope. Paul hopes for them that they will have peace, love, faith, and grace. In other words, Paul is saying he hopes that they stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, peace comes from the gospel. Love is what is seen in the gospel. Faith is what the gospel grows in us. And ultimately, grace is how God works our forgiveness through the gospel. And all four coming together, is Paul saying he wants them to endure in the gospel for themselves. So having understood all this then, we can then see this whole letter to the Ephesians now taking a gospel-centered shape. It is meant to be an exhortation to Christians who are seeking to be faithful, to go out and complete their mission, even when times are tough. So we can learn from this, because that would be us as well, not just the Ephesians. And so we first remember that the gospel shows us God's love. That's why Paul labored so much to tell us about how God saved us while we were sinners, how God has exalted us, how God has given everything to us. He's trying to show us that God loves us. And the point of it is so that in understanding this depth of this love, we will find strength to carry on. He has given you this task so that you may grow to be more like Christ and you can respond to God in love. So seek to persevere as you are strengthened by the gospel as you come to understand God's love for you. And secondly, if you love God and you want to honor Him, then the right way to do so is actually to glorify Him through the gospel. You see, friends, the proclamation of the gospel reveals the mighty work of God. See, the gospel shows that sinners who are dead in sin are brought to life. The gospel is those who are considered unworthy by the world is exalted and adopted as sons. Those who are perishing are redeemed and glorified in heaven. To see this God who works so mercifully, so lovingly, showing grace, how can we not want to let the world know of the character of this God, of how he has reversed this entire terrible situation that the world is in through the gospel? And so, we must persevere and preach the gospel. And finally, we too should take in Paul's exhortations to the Ephesians to heart. 
You see, we must seek to be gospel-centered people in everything we do. We must have the gospel as the ultimate purpose in everything that we do. If Paul, in jail, in chains, still puts the gospel as his primary mission, you can do that at work with your friends as you spend time with your family, as you go for vacation. You can always put the gospel in the center and seek to do things in response to the gospel. So with that, we come to an end. And I hope that our series on Ephesians is a series that will bear fruit in you. I hope that you will be encouraged to share the gospel. May the words of this text drive you to respond to the gospel, share the gospel, and ultimately through that, bring glory to God's name. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for this message that Paul has written. Father, we thank you that you still speak to us through this word. And Lord, we do not respond the way we should. We find it difficult to share the gospel, sometimes because we are afraid, sometimes because we do not have the confidence, and sometimes simply because we don't care. And Father, forgive us our sin and renew us and cleanse us and through the Spirit working in us, help us to be people who desire to share the gospel and through that bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.